before I dive in Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Where there's a will, there's a way Hey everyone and welcome to Trudging Together Raw Recovery with Dion Miller. Uh, today we have on um, a uh, recent friend of mine, his name is Greg. We just met uh, this last week. Uh, we had a fantastic talk yesterday. And you know, I, I always try and keep saying, what it comes down to is this. Every single person's story is important. We all come from different backgrounds. And the reason I am excited today is because we're going to be hitting a topic that usually doesn't come up a lot. And Greg is very knowledgeable on what he's doing. I love the work that he's doing, and I'm excited to have him on. So, Greg, it's good to see you, and uh, welcome. Uh, thank you. It's great to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, why don't, why don't we start out a little bit with um, your drinking career, what your drinking was like. My drinking career started uh, kindergarten. And then uh, carried on, and then uh, I got kicked out of sixth grade at Pine Lane Elementary for okay. drinking on the playground. That's usually a story you don't hear. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the very first. Uh, they didn't know what to do. Sure they didn't. Well, that would, that would have been pretty new back in, what, the 80s? Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that was something they uh, wouldn't have known how to deal with. They probably took your bottle and drank it, actually. <laughs> uh, well, all six of us got suspended anyway. Okay. All right. And then we started the Sunday through Monday drinking club. Okay. Uh, through high school um, with a lot of Parker natives. Okay. okay. As Parker, uh, Colorado. And then I saw the beginnings of methamphetamine or crystal. Sure. I saw friends of mine when I moved into Aurora... Even though we were going to redneck bars, they were uh, doing meth. <laughs> okay. And I didn't want anything to do with it. I saw some of the scary advertisements, as sure. like you would. Mm-hmm. Well, we TV. grew up in we grew up in uh, that was the Ronald Reagan era. Yes, the war so, on drugs. Yeah. So we had Mad, and we had everything else going on. That was a big time for education on drugs. It was huge, and uh, I made the decision uh to get out of here out mm -hmm. of parker and not be affiliated with my parker friends and i joined the navy and okay. um how old you were when you joined the navy 23 okay i was a pretty good wrestler i uh coming out of high school i got a three-quarter ride scholarship to nebraska wow but i was pissed because it wasn't iowa <laughs> so i uh i waited in 23 i went in and uh, I wrestled uh, in the standard Navy. Okay. I wrestled internationally. I did pretty good. Uh, drinking like a fish. Mm-hmm. And still, still dropping acid before I wrestled. Wow. Even in the military. Uh, that takes a lot of tolerance to have drugs and alcohol in your system and then be focused enough to wrestle. Well, I'd say by my last name, everybody that would know me uh, 
would know that the family name is synonymous with drinking. Okay. All right. Mom, dad, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. I mean, it was... Sure. Neighbors uh, brought in uh, where we are now in the studio. The owners... uh, Sure. Had spent many many a drinking days at my house. Sure. Well, you're Irish, am I correct? A hundred percent. First, okay. first, uh, first generation American. Sure. Do Do you feel like being Irish had anything to do with your drinking? I think the stigma. Okay. Uh, absolutely. When you go back and you you do. After you're sober, you look back at events. Sure. Yep. So you look back, like in high school. Uh, he's full-blooded Irish. He can drink anybody under the table. (laughs) You know, all those, you know, wise tales or whatever you are. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And you look back on those and now, Uh and uh, you're like, wow, what a stupid reason. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, and it's funny you say that because I always liked meeting Irish people that would tell that to me. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Even if I'm passed out on the floor, line up the shots. <laughs> We're all Irish tonight. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you do the you do the Century Club with shots of uh, uh, whiskey instead of uh, Budweiser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when it starts to get dangerous and blackouts happen. Right. So. <laughs> That's when you know you're true friends. <laughs> uh, how long were you in the Navy? I was in the Navy. Uh, so I got uh, five years, then recalled back uh, after 9-11. Okay. Um, I joined special programs in 1996. Uh, that's when I graduated my special program training. Uh and then we went over to Africa because uh, within the last five years, the media has found out that, oh, my gosh, we found Muslims getting radicalized. Mm-hmm. And the main area was Africa. Well, back in 96, we already knew that. Mm-hmm. You know, without anybody knowing. So we were a squad that was brought back together called Special Boat Team 12. They retired them out of uh, Vietnam. Okay. And they were never to be brought back again until Osama bin Laden blew up the barracks Uh in Dahran. Okay. And then that's when uh, SecDef and Admiral Borda... Before he passed away, said, reman SBT-12 and get him over to Africa. Okay. And that's where I spent four and a half years. Uh, pretty much how it was. And we drank. So sure. we would get a conics box of our munitions, of our my EOD stuff and a lot of the seal side stuff. Okay. Um, we would get that in one Connex box. And then in the other Connex box, they made sure we had it packed with alcohol. Uh-huh. And uh, why do you think that was? Because of what we did, I think yeah. I th- even in dry countries we were getting conics drops. Okay. And um, I remember in Kuwait getting conics drops, and I think 
it was so we could drink our way through what we were doing. Yeah. Um, I was a part of the 181 American hostages in the U.S. Embassy. Okay. Um, first confirmed was an eight-year-old child. Yeah. And that took my alcohol to a level that most people probably couldn't hang with. Yeah. So by this time, by the time that happened, you were probably, how much were you drinking? Oh, man. Easily two cases. Yeah. And that's a day, guys. We're not, we're talking per day here. Yes. And then, of course, you know, you've got to pay your royalties to Mr. Crown Royal. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you got to, you got to run some Crown Royal down the belly, too. Certainly. Yeah. Well, what good's beer without Crown? Right. That's what I tell people. You got (laughs) to, well, you got to have it, you got to have a chaser after that beer. Dude, right. And at least get something good to taste. (laughs) Right. You know? So, um, so what happened and I'm kind of going through your story kind of quick cause I, we, I wanted to get to, I really want to get to the point where, um, you know, we talk about kind of what you do now. So, but let's, let's talk a little bit. What happened to you that made you decide that drinking and your behavior was no longer acceptable to you? It was in Aurora uh, right across, uh, right at the bridge for 225 and Parker Road. Okay. And I rear-ended a Somali. Okay. It was Ramadan. I told the meat wagon that they weren't going to put an IV in her. Uh-huh. Because it was Ramadan and, of course, Sharia law. Yeah. You know, as if we need any more laws in America. But anyway, um... I'm trying to find the date here. Mm. Excuse me, that stroke thing just doesn't really... Hey, take your go. time, man. Okay. The only so, thing we're ever late for is our, our first AA meeting, so... Right. <laughs> um, so it was... Let's see here. Boom, boom. Give me my date. Anyway, it was in July. Okay. And... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. It was June 29th, 2017. There we go. And it was at um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. And I had rendered this lady, and I knew right away I had to render aid because she was Somali. Okay. So I just kept my hands, uh, my two fingers on her wrist, and I just stroked her arm, telling her it would be okay. Mm-hmm. Got her on the phone with my insurance company. Fast forward, cop comes over. Doesn't run my license plate. My my license plate uh, comes back as proceed with caution, CIA instruction only. Sure. So apparently the cop didn't do anything. So um, he yelled at me and said I was being insubordinate. And I said, sir, she's on the phone with my insurance company. And uh, he hit me in the, in the left leg right at the fibula. Okay. And uh, it just kind of shocked me back to to my training it triggered you yeah she's triggered so um i told him one more time and it was going to be lights out and Mm -hmm. he did it uh i put him lights out and then the sergeant came to me and shook my hand and said thank you for your service and uh my name and then uh 
I, they couldn't arrest me because I was on too many PTSD medication, too yeah. much. Uh, they wouldn't be able to hold you and watch back you. medication, mm -hmm. you know, because I broke my back, neck, and legs while I was in. And I, I you know, just that 24 hours after and the. <laughs> What would you call it? I would say the the categorizing or or putting putting my life in folders. Sure. Okay. In like a uh, in a drawer. Sure, like a file folder. Like a file folder. Yeah. yeah. I was organizing my life. Thank you very much. Sure. I was organizing my life and finding out that damn man, alcohol has been a part of every every everything that's ever gone bad for me yeah so uh went to court uh wound up getting a lesser charge um and they sent me into veterans treatment court which was the greatest thing that ever happened to me awesome. out of 18th judicial district i walked into the court i was sober and that's where i learned some skills to relate and okay. to pass on so as you and i talked on the phone uh-huh you know what i did in the navy and then you also know that i quit cold turkey yes i do know that mm -hmm. and three and a half weeks of almost dying 170 over 180 i don't know how i didn't stroke i don't know either grace of god right all i can it, all i would know that's all i would know as well so um, going through that kind of fight and then having other veterans continue to slip. Okay. And it's a phased court, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four. Certainly. And, uh, of course I flew through, yeah. uh, sober doing all my classes and, um, an industrial engineer major with a, uh, counseling, uh, AOD counseling minor. Yeah. Okay. Because of everything that I, I was doing, mm -hmm. because the court wanted me to satisfy these requirements. Sure. But then helping others was like, okay, hold on, I don't get this piece of the pie. <laughs> and you know what piece of the pie that was, which well, we sure talked yesterday, the behavioral uh -huh. cognitive link. That's it. And that's when I went back to school to get a little more education on that behavioral and cognitive, the cognitive behavioral. Uh -huh. And once, once I did that, I went into arts okay. off of Potomac in Mississippi, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of heroin addicts. Mm -hmm. And I kind of snubbed my nose at them. And then I started listening, and I started opening my heart up. Mm -hmm. And I started seeing, hey... This kid is only 22 years old, and he's in a civilian treatment court mm -hmm. with 20 years of prison mm -hmm. hanging over his head. Yeah. So I don't know what happened. It may have been my mom's influence, but I started helping these civilians. Yeah. And uh, some guys that are probably listening may know that i am considered chantix of heroin okay. <laughs> <laughs> as we talked yeah <laughs> i give you two quick some days. people will get that some people won't <laughs> right 
you get one quit date. That's when you go on methadone. Uh-huh. And then, sorry, man. If you're going to be with me, a guy that went cold turkey, yeah, you're coming off methadone. Yep. And I celebrate uh, very shortly one gentleman that is one year sober off of heroin awesome. and methadone. Wow. Sober, sober, not sober with a band-aid. Yeah, exactly. So, you, yeah, that's one thing that, you know, when we were talking yesterday, you know, it seems like, you know, you're really good at ripping off that band-aid with love. Does that make sense? You know, you got to be stern, but you got to do it from your heart. You know, some people call it tough love, I guess. But, you know, you just kind of seem to have this way with you of understanding um, I, I do have a question. So I'm a civilian and, you know, there are things that there are a lot of things that I went through, too. But when I got to the point where I wanted to sober up my 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 pride or my machismo, my ego got in the way. Do you think being part in the military and going through that had some effect on that? Do you think that might be a little different for people in the military? I think, yes. Um, so... Um, I would consider my PTSD, if that's where you're... Yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking so, about, you know, in the trauma that we were talking about yesterday. Yes, and and that, and that my military trauma, a.k.a. PTSD, which is not just for military, yeah. it, trauma <laughs> is... He's saying that for me. <laughs> well, no, yeah. trauma is trauma, uh-huh. period. Mm -hmm. um, it could be child abuse. It could be uh, anything, bullying, mm -hmm. um, but you find the trauma. Mm -hmm. And yes, the PTSD had to be ripped open. Yeah. My grandson was eight years old when I quit drinking because mm -hmm. I was at my peak of drinking when he was eight. Remember Somalia? Mm -hmm. That was my first confirmed kill, an eight-year-old child. Yeah. And so with that being said, that when you recognize the trauma, I think you can start dealing with the trauma mm -hmm. and working on that trauma. But I think it takes you to be sober to really categorize. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, I mean, if I had alcohol in my system and tried to do what I do right now, it would not succeed. I would be so selfish and self-centered, and I would be thinking about myself so much. I mean, how many more times can I say self in one sentence right now? Right. You know, um, and alcohol just takes that away from me. It, ri it rips it from me, and I am nowhere cle even close to being next to God or being in the sunlight of the Spirit. And I would agree 100%. I think the Band-Aid's back on for the numbing effect, or sure. if you will, like with a, a little child, you give them, when they're when they're just cutting their teeth, you know what I mean? Yeah, you give them a little bit of Numb. The, the numbing right. stuff. Right, sure. or for us, it was Jack Daniels yeah. from our mom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all know the drill. Come on. Yeah, we grew up in the we 70s grew up, and 80s. Come on, so, there yeah. you go. So, but... Um, I think when I started, and it's still a work in progress, um, I've just recently had a stroke, as you know, and uh -huh. we don't know 
what, what evidence is bringing that forth. Um, but I think a lot, I think some of it has to do with working through some of the trauma. Mm-hmm. And you can't work through trauma without God and without sobriety. Yeah. Period. Absolutely. You have uh, alcoholic and uh, and drug addicts. When you're in the alcoholic state, mm-hmm. you only know that you are the power. Yeah. When you get sober, you know you you understand that there's somebody greater than yourself. Exactly. And it could be could be anything but mm-hmm. for me it was god yeah that had a lot to do with it yeah i think just realizing that there's something bigger than you that can help you and the fact i think this is very important that you're not alone yes that you don't have to do this by yourself right uh, i think some good other good points on this you know because i'm an aa member myself and uh, but there are things aa doesn't do they don't deal with trauma they don't deal with PTSD or depression. You know, they're not licensed to do that. So uh, getting therapy or talking to somebody else, it's been been there also is extremely helpful. And that's kind of where you come in with with some veterans and something I'm really excited to talk about. And in fact, even after this podcast, you're getting ready to go downtown and uh, work with some home, homeless veterans. I'm going to be working with uh, Warrior Now. Okay. And um, they are... Uh, organization that works um, with veterans and homeless veterans with the Coalition of Homeless Vets. And today we will be dealing with the the Denver Coalition of Homeless Veterans. Okay. And uh, Heather Javernick is part of uh, Aurora's um, Coalition of Homeless Vets. Okay. And, you know, and I forgot about this, and... And it's kind of funny. So you get Denver. Uh Uh-huh. They're pushing the homeless out. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So you drive by Cherry Creek Reservoir (laughs) where you're going to get onto the highway. And now we're we're starting to see little tent cities pop up there. Yes. And you know what's coming with those tent cities. Not saying... Yeah, we know what's going to happen. Well, we're going to be L.A. next. We're moving right towards it. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, if we don't get enough people engaged. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right on that. When I used to do this back in the 90s, everything was about community. And it seems like community is just gone. It's gone. There's another word I don't ever hear anymore either. It's called prevention. No, I don't hear much about prevention, which is just education before people get started is oh. really all it is. Nancy Reagan, rest yeah. in peace. I mean, I, God bless she, her. I, she was, I think she was core. Yes. She, I don't think we would actually, I think we would have gone through a lot worse in the 90s if Nancy Reagan wouldn't have stepped in and done something. The unfortunate part now, and um, we probably won't go too much into this. Is just, you know, here in Colorado, we don't have any. We have one detox left. You know, um, where are these guys going to go if they do want to get sober? I mean, there, there's not really anywhere for them to go. So they're going to end up in tents on the side of the road, 
um, drinking and drugging. But nobody wants to go down there no. and say, hey, brother, what, you know, what's going on? Yeah, what's, what's happening? And I think when you start getting into those tent cities and you go into the tent city that's uh, over by Pepsi Center, mm-hmm. um, you start understanding why, you know, some people, uh, a fellow Parker guy here that served in, uh, uh, I think, the Army, and he, uh, he wants to be homeless. And he drinks, but mm-hmm. he just wants to be homeless. Uh-huh. And I found that out by actually getting engaged and going down. And, you know, it's not a superpower I have, but I know I can handle myself if anything were to blow up on me. So I go down and I engage Mm -hmm. and I ask, do you want help? And And they'll be and these guys will be honest with you. Dead honest. Yes, they will. So I was in a, I was in Arts off of Potomac, okay. and there was a homeless gentleman mm-hmm. that was coming in, and people were complaining, and I was like, "Don't complain, you were there." That's you, yeah. For the grace of God, there go I. At least he is stepping forward, mm. and the weird part is, is Arts got him Medicaid. Okay. So Medicaid, after he went through so much of the program, mm-hmm. got him into sober living. Yeah. Remember Stout Street? Oh, we I have remember Stout, Stout Street. Come yeah. on. Stout Street's still around, isn't these, it? Yes. Yeah. These names need to start coming back up. Yeah. Yep. There is a way. There is a way. It's just nobody knows about it. We need and to nobody, communicate. Yeah. And we need them to be able to get them there in a, in a timely manner. I was... Uh, Stout Street also owns... Um, the Phoenix concept. And I was actually one of the original members of the Phoenix concept back in 1989. No way. Uh, Ray Hayworth was my first sponsor. Wow. And I was one of the first people to go finish the program. Um, so I'm very aware of what you're saying. I was homeless myself twice. Um, and then, you know, not the kind, you know, sleeping on friends' couches homeless. Right. No, downtown trying to find a heat vent. You know, type of homeless. Where the steam was coming out. Yeah, March March is pretty freaking cold in Colorado. (laughs) You know, and even then you can sit there and deny, well, I'm still not an alcoholic. This isn't too bad, you know. The denial still kick in. Um, And I agree, and that's part of what what I'm doing is there are some people that do want to be homeless. Um, And we're talking about alcoholics and addicts here. Not everybody that's homeless is... Is an alcoholic Yeah, in fact, 80%, like 70, 80% of them aren't. Right. Um, but there's that 1% that, or the whatever percentage that we call hopeless, where they need the only thing that's going to save them at this moment is God and some kind of intervention. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I have, a, I have a saying that I like to go by. Uh, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink, but you can shove his head in there and sure make him wish he did. Absolutely. Sometimes, sometimes addicts need that. Alcoholics need that. And you kind of do that. I try. Um, I have seven successful heroin addicts uh, that are now sober. That's a lot. Yeah. And I have. Considering you've been sober two and a half years. Right. And I just took it straight on. I took it uh, head on. The alcoholics are are hard. The um, uh, crystal meth addicts need the uh, 
most amount of help, in my opinion. Okay. Because the minimization of their use and, and their drug. Well, and it's becoming even more dangerous with fentanyl. Fentanyl and now. So they're trying to get meth back to be a populace. So being what I was in the military, I have a little bit better uh, communication of what's coming into the country uh-huh. and what they actually. So heroin's prepacked with fentanyl. Yep. So you don't even have to. Uh, the, the drug dealer can cut it with something fancy for overdose like elephant tranquilizer is mm-hmm. now popular lion tranquilizer i, I heard uh, cat i heard uh, cat litter was popular too yes and but you know you're you get your uh, your street your street swag by okay by overdose okay and they're like oh my gosh let's go over to this dealer he had three overdoses last week oh wow and and you see that so and now crystal meth mm-hmm. is becoming that okay and you're having less of the heroin going od okay versus now they're trying to do a trick on the crystal meth in order to make crystal meth a more popular drug so hence fentanyl yeah now they're putting in tranquilizers yeah that's that's just crazy. I mean, now it, I mean it's like it's like it's like going to it's it's like going to IKEA buying something and not having to put it together and not you know it not being that hard to put it together. Right. Being that's just man, talk about customer service. Right. I, I mean, wish. Right. Right Give me up. some Ikea stuff. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's a one-stop shop, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that makes it even scarier. It does because especially if people are going over to it, I I was lucky enough I didn't get involved in many drugs. I had a little cocaine stint, but alcohol was my choice because mine as I, well. If I I knew if I did anything else, I was dead. I knew I'd be hooked, so I stayed away from that. So you're still doing a lot of work with veterans, things like that. Is there a way for let's say I have some veterans listening? Is there a way they can get in touch with you? Well, yes. Uh, my my number, which I will make public right now, three zero three five nine six eight four one zero, and please call me and uh, say, Greg, uh, I want to get sober, or I don't know how. I don't That's the key. know where to go where to start um i'd like to read this mission um for go veterans right it is warrior now the mission is we connect veterans impacted by mental health diagnosis ptsd and or addiction to res- uh to resources services and mentorship through training peer mentors in order to help reduce our veterans to the journey of life reintroduce our veterans into the journey of life so what, with that being said, we also do help civilians, and especially me. Um, I'm a mentor in, uh, in the court systems. Uh, I also just picked up that, uh, that meth addict uh-huh. and the jail. I'm his sponsor. Mm-hmm. The jail releases him to his trigger. Yeah, you were telling me about that yesterday. It was his mom was his trigger, and they released him to his mom. Yeah, and I was so proud of this young man. He got on the phone with me right away, and said, "Oh my gosh, Greg!" And I said, "Austin, breathe. 
do your five senses that I taught you on the jail mm. phone. Yep. That's and how you deal with anxiety is the five. The five senses. Yep. And um, I told him, I said, you know, you're telling me that, you know, you're wanting a sober living that's um, theologically related, mm -hmm. you know, religiously related. And step seven. Yeah. Uh, actually had a bed for him and he's now in step seven and um, he never really was a religious guy and now mm -hmm. he really can't let go yeah and i still know even after my stroke god wasn't ready yeah my mom wasn't ready because mm -hmm. i'm trying to do good work down here yeah. like you are doing presently yeah that's why we're that's why we're still here we got work to do Oh, we got yeah. a lot of work yeah. to do. The way I see it is, you know, I spent a long time beating up God's children, and he really didn't like it. And I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Me neither. Just, I'm not allowed to do it. Greg, thank you for being on. Uh, I really I really appreciate it, and um, and you sharing like that and giving out information to be able to get in touch with you get in touch with you so if you're if you're even if you're a civilian and you need some help reach out to greg if he can't help you he's gonna find somebody that will i know somebody that will help you yeah so we will find that for you so thank you everybody for coming on and listening again you know everybody's story is important and you know what it really comes down to is that we make a decision that we don't want to behave this any way anymore and we change that and we do everything that we can to change it by taking an inventory um greg brought this up you know i call it step four he calls it his file cabinet it doesn't matter what you call it doing the work is what matters and then when you're done taking care of yourself you get your butt out there and you help other people even when you think you can't Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Dion Miller with Trudging Together Raw Recovery. I love you all and have a day.